Well, when our listeners need to save some money, what do they need to do? Huh? Oh, come on, dude. Throw it in your Google machine. I'm asking, how can our listeners lower their monthly payments or consolidate their debt? Listen, stop asking them fool questions. He ain't got the answer today, baby. Take it from the second most recognizable athlete in the world today. Staywithbruce.com can't be beat. They lower your monthly payments by five, four, six, eight, seven hundred dollars a month, baby. You got credit card debt, car loan, a second mortgage. There ain't no problem right here at SaveWithBruce.com. Pumpkinhead gonna take care of you today. You understand me, baby? But I, 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 I don't have. Well, you know, perfect credit. Ooh, yeah. Well, you don't need perfect credit uh-huh even with credit scores in the 500 savewithbruce.com makes saving money easy and it only takes a cup of coffee to get started dig it right here at savewithbruce.com this is the mlw radio network WHW Monday, Tony Schiavone and Conrad Thompson talking about the great years of World Championship Wrestling, the NWA, and Jim Crockett Promotions. And now let's go to the ring. Here's your co-host. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to What Happened When with Tony Schiavone right here on the MLW Radio Network. What's going on, man? How are you? Hey, Conrad, how are you doing? Hello, slapdicks all across the world. Thank you very much for listening to What Happened When on Monday, and we are certainly excited about another week. And actually, we're more excited this week because we are going to be talking about <laughs> one of the great fuck-ups in WCW history, Well, uh, WCW Uncensored. I am fired up about it. This is something I've wanted to cover for a long time. There's been a handful of shows that I thought, man, I can't wait to cover this. And it's finally here. Uncensored 1995. It won a poll in a landslide. Stay tuned to the end of today's show, and we're going to give you next week's topics. And uh, you'll have an idea of what next week's show could sound like. But you get to decide ultimately. Just go vote. It's at WHW Monday on Twitter. That's at WHW Monday on Twitter. And uh, you'll get to shape the show for next week. Tony Schiavone is also on Twitter at Tony Schiavone24. And he has stopped blocking everyone, which is nice to hear. And uh, you can celebrate that fact over at ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash WHW. In honor of our uncensored shirt, we have an unblocked shirt just for you. Uh, but if you're still one of the elite who did get blocked, celebrate with your very own Blockmaster shirt. It's Shockmaster inspired. Uh, but maybe it's time for Tony to go ahead and eat, sleep, block, repeat. You can pick that shirt up as well as the Great American Blocked Party. But my favorite shirt is still the sideways big gold belt that says WHW. It's positioned like you're playing air guitar. Of course, in the Shivani household, they like that Starcade logo. My little girl is rocking that Thompson Thunder shirt. And uh, you can go ahead and rock the Klondike shirt. That's right. Everybody knows about Klondike Bill and his penchant for kielbasa sausages. You can celebrate that. Uh, and it's just in time for Mother's Day. You can pick up the Lois Rules shirt. Uh, but just in time for this week's show, it feels kind of timely. If you've read any of the Pandemonium movie script about the life of Vince McMahon, uh, pasta still rules, brother. 
inside of that script, Tony, I don't know that you saw this, but uh, Linda McMahon makes some sort of reference that while Bob Backlund, you know, is the all-American boy who might, you know, take your virginity from you. Right. Hulk Hogan might be into butt stuff, brother. Whoa. And that's right from Linda McMahon in the movie script Pandemonium. But we were way ahead of the curve on our very first Nitro episode, which is available in the archives. Pasta still rules. What are we talking about? Go listen to that conspiracy theory. It is worth a look. Tony's favorite shirt over here. It's still the Syracuse Slapdick School of Journalism. Uh, But really fitting today, it feels like the blunder years from WCW, this uncensored 95 shirt. Uh, and by the time you hear this, there may be four new shirts up there. Tony, have you seen the new shirts yet? I've not seen the new, new shirts, but I've heard from uh, Matt McGrath, our big buddy in Canada, who uh, does a great job in designing these shirts. And I understand there's going to be another slapdick-type shirt coming out for those of you who didn't go to Syracuse. Uh, and that should be a lot of fun Well, have those out. Let me tell you, I know what I'm getting you for Christmas, uh, Father's Day, your birthday, and it's going to be these new shirts. The new one, I'm a Tom Zink guy. That's right. We all know that Tony <laughs> Schiavone is a Tom Zink guy. You'll be able to pick that up. Maybe it's time that you want to go ahead and support your love of the show, but you don't really want everybody to know you're a wrestling fan. Well, we have got a shirt that looks like a fur coat with a tiny button at the very bottom. That's right. The button on a fur coat shirt is coming your way. Uh, we've also talked about Colonel Robert Parker and uh, his jump roping skills. Well, Parker's Jump Rope Academy, established 1951. You can pick that shirt up. But maybe the best seller, or what will be the best seller, over at ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash WHW. Everybody in the South is familiar with Krispy Kreme. And everybody knows when that red neon light pops up and it says hot now, it's time to pull in. Well, back in the day in WCW, everybody was looking for the hot tag. That's right. We've got a hot tag t-shirt Hot tag, what happened when with Tony Schiavone. You can pick all these shirts up right now over at ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash WHW. And when you make one of these purchases, Tony, what happens? I give you a phone call, call you on your cell phone. I want to remind you that you're probably going to see a number not available on the cell phone. Still pick it up and talk to me. And and I've had some great conversations the last week, Conrad, with some uh, some great fans who love what we do who love what you do, Conrad. You're one of the big stars here on this. I know you like to stay in the background. They love what you do. They love us, and we certainly appreciate it. We'd like for you to get the word out. T-shirt's a great way to do it. Love talking to you. And uh, if uh, I, there's a couple of guys who have bought more than one T-shirts, and I will be calling you back another time. So I'll let you know that. So I'll be giving you a call. Uh, you know, you, you said when you see Krispy Kreme, and the hot now sign, it's time to pull in. When you see the hot tag T-shirt, it's time to pull out. Hey, yeah, right. there you go. Go check it out. <laughs> ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash WHW. Let's get right into it. Uncensored 1995. Uh, but I guess before we get going here, we should kind of set the stage. We're on the heels of Super Brawl from February 19th. This had Hogan and Vader on top. Uh, Meltzer would write, for years, WCW put on good and sometimes great wrestling shows, but was plagued by poor promotion of its product and had bad production on its shows. That situation has now changed almost 180 degrees. The first ever meeting of Hogan and Vader, who no doubt will go down in history as two of the top 10 stars of this era, 
drew a legitimate sellout of 13,390 fans, which was just over 10,000 paid for a $165,000 house in the Baltimore arena. Meltzer would write, I suspect given the strong promotion and the fact that they had the right main event, uh, that the pay-per-view barre isn't going to be too far behind Hogan flair matches from last year, which from a money standpoint would be the number three on the company's all time list. It was the first WCW show to draw more than 10,000 paid since 1989 and the third gate, third largest gate in the history of the company. Only behind Flair Funk from the 89 Baltimore Bash and the Flair Hogan retirement match in Detroit in 94. Uh, The finish of that match would see Flair, Savage, and Sting all involved, so it was a DQ. Meltzer still gave it three and a quarter stars. And I should mention here that Dave wrote, supposedly the finish of the Hogan-Vader match was originally to be a double juice with Nick Bockwinkel or the commission stopping the match to set up a no-stopping-for-blood uncensored strap match. But circumstances over the past week made the company nix the idea of juice, and they went to plan B. Now, I want you to keep that in mind because that will be relevant to what we're talking about later. The original plan for Super Brawl was for both guys to get color in the main event. That's in Fe- that's February 19th. Uh, we'll circle back to that. Now, I want to ask you, though, Tony, you were there. Uh, obviously, the Flair Hogan stuff had done big business. Did Vader Hogan exceed expectations, in your opinion? Exceed expectations? As far as what the company expected from a draw standpoint. I know. I, I think. Uh, I think we were pretty confident that Hogan would uh, would draw some big money, and, and I think we all knew how what uh, type of uh, performer Vader was. I mean, legitimately, Vader was a, a great big man. Sure, I, I think you would agree with that. He, he could he could move. He could he could do a lot of things. He was a stiff worker, uh, sometimes too stiff. Uh, so that that kind of scared everybody, even announcers. Uh, but w- we thought uh, it could be uh, because Vader had been portrayed as a super heel in WCW all through before Hogan that we thought it would be big business. So I don't think it exceeded expectations at all. Now, I'm sure some people in there would say, yes, they did, but not for me. Uh, Let's talk about another uh, only in WCW type story. Uh, I read a story about how Hogan appeared at Goody's 300, uh, which was a NASCAR event, doing some cross promotion for WCW. And he's here with Richard Petty, who is a huge name in NASCAR. Uh, and he had one of his team's cars painted up to promote this Vader Hogan match. So obviously they're you know pushing all their chips to the center of the table on this Vader Hogan feud. Somewhere on the broadcast, though, Richard's son Kyle Petty called the organization sponsoring his father's team for the driver Rodney Combs, the WWF. Uh, this seems like it's a kind of common mistake for the WWF because they had almost become the brand of the industry, much like Kleenex or Band-Aid or to some extent Coke. But it never ceases to amaze me that even when you guys are paying motherfuckers, they can't remember your name. Uh, how was this gaffe received by WCW? It was quite common back in the day. Yeah, we just shook our head and moved on. Uh, nothing you can do but get to the person who was there and get to the person who set this up and remind them to remind them not only who we are, WCW, but listen, we are working from behind here as far as being the brand nationwide. Right. right. So you got to work extra hard to remind people, hey, guys, this is WCW, not the WWF. You really had to do that. And I'm not so sure that some people working for us, and I'm not going to blame anybody for that, really even thought about that. 
even knew that. And that's just lack of communication. Just shook our head and moved on. That's all you got to do. I mean, it's stupid, but yeah. you, you got to move on. Well, here's something fun. Uh, just a couple weeks prior to Uncensored, Meltzer would report lots of talk over the past week regarding a possible return of the Road Warriors to feud with the new horsemen. Uh, the new four horsemen would be Ric Flair and Arn Anderson for sure, and probably Steve Austin as a third member. Names speculated on this for the fourth member were Vader, Dustin Rhodes, or Tully Blanchard, the latter considered an extreme long shot. He would also suggest that WCW wanted Kurt Henning to be one of the final four horsemen. It wasn't the first time they wanted him, and it probably wouldn't be the last. Uh, he would write, the problem always ends up that Henning's asking price is really high because he's in great shape financially from an insurance settlement and thus has no need to wrestle for money. So it's going to take big money to get him out of the house. Now, this is in 95. Of course, we all remember uh, he would come over and join up with the Four Horsemen and set up a huge angle with the NWO in the fall of 97. But we're in March of 1995 here. Do you remember there ever being any sort of serious discussion? And as crazy as it sounds, Vader makes sense because Vader was paired with Flair here on camera. But do you remember there ever being discussion about Dustin Rhodes or Steve Austin potentially joining the Horsemen? Yeah, there was always discussions about who can we bring in to strengthen the Horsemen, to change the Horsemen, to give them a different look. And Austin and Dustin Rhodes were part of that. And even, you know, uh, I think we wanted Kurt Hennig because of, he had been a big star as Mr. Perfect. Not only that, uh, great wrestler, and also, uh, which is very, what's very important to guys back then, a, a second generation star, a guy, a kid who had grown up in wrestling. So a kid who respected the business and appreciated the business, and we all thought Kurt Hennig was that. But there was always, always talks about the Horsemen because that was a big brand for us, and changing up the Horsemen with guys who could work and who were over. Uh, this all kind of came to a head uh, the week of March 6th, and it only lasts a few days. But on March 6th, Flair is furious and says he quits. Um, and this all is about booking. Supposedly, he's hot that Hogan uh, canceled working a couple of television tapings that were held during the week. And they had to come up with a last-minute storyline that Nick Bockwinkle had suspended him from television. And these are the go-home weeks for the pay-per-view. And Flair's also frustrated that Randy Savage is now trying to pull a Hulk Hogan and book all of his own programs. Meltzer would surmise that Hogan and Flair both want to create their 80s. And they had different versions of the 80s uh, where Flair is pushing for the Horsemen and the Road Warriors. Uh, meanwhile, Hogan wants to redo the Ultimate Warrior and Andre the Giant and push them to the moon. But he still wants Hogan and Savage to do their 80s characters and overcome all odds. Uh, is this the first time you remember the Flair-Hogan relationship becoming unworkable? It would only last a few days before cooler heads would prevail, but this was one of the first times I remember seeing that Flair was like, fuck this, I'm out. Yeah, I, I, had, uh, I had known that. I, I think we all thought that was after the finish of Bash at the Beach, and I, I think we all knew that there were going to be problems Um when we knew that Hogan wanted to be able and was able to, through his contract, control his character and his finishes. We knew that would be a problem, and we knew that would be a problem with whomever he worked with, like Ric Flair. Now that Savage's in the mix, 
and the word was that he's kind of basically got the same thing. I mean, Eric brought these guys in based on a contract that said you have control over what you do. And I understand what he's trying to do. He's doing everything he can to bring these guys in. But the flip side is you've got to come to reality and you've got to come to some sort of compromise when you're working with Ric Flair or you're working with Vader or somebody like that. And I'm not so sure how much compromise these guys had. Uh, apparently, they had some because, as you just said, cooler heads prevail. It, it was pretty apparent. There was a lot of conflict in the back because of the stars and because of what they wanted to do. Uh, thank God that we were able to uh, move ahead with that. A couple more notes just about the scene uh, of WCW at the time. It's reported that Jimmy Hart was now working several days a week out of the Atlanta office and he was in charge of new gimmicks, music, and costuming. I feel like Jimmy Hart is underappreciated as far as his behind-the-scenes contributions to the business. Uh, can you chime in on that and share your opinion on that? Jimmy Hart should still be working for the WWE. Uh, he is one of the most talented men ever in this business. Uh, the music for WCW got better when he came aboard. Uh, the gimmicks got better. No one works as hard as Jimmy Hart, has ever worked as hard as Jimmy Hart. Uh, and uh, Jimmy Hart and I became very good friends. We traveled a little bit together uh, and uh, talked about the business a lot. And I agree. I, I think, you know, well, there's no doubt what Hogan brought to the business when he came in, Conrad. But when Jimmy Hart came in with him, he even elevated it even more. Right. Talented kid. Can mix music. Can come up with guys to sing chords. I mean, in this uh, this uncensored event that we're getting ready to see, the Nasty Boys had their own music, using their own voice. That was all Jimmy Hart. Hulk Hogan had a brand new song that was written by Jimmy Hart and produced by Jimmy Hart. Uh, every new character that came in had their own music and recognizable music. Because as you know, back in the 80s, it was kind of like, and I think even Meltzer wrote this at one time, kind of like uh, Pavlov's theory. Mm -hmm. When the music would hit... The fans would recognize the music and pop. Uh, only one star had that uh, in uh, WCW back in the day, uh, and that was the Road Warriors when they would hit the Iron Man music. Uh, but uh, Jimmy Hart knew that, and uh, he was tremendous. Uh, did you get to know Jimmy? Have you talked to him, met him? Yeah, I have met Jimmy a few times. Um, he, he is one of the most uh, PR-friendly uh, nice to all the fans, dudes in the history of the business. It's amazing to me that WWE doesn't have him just working live events right. just to greet fans and, you know, all of that stuff. He he is a natural in all things like access and WrestleCon and all that stuff. I mean, he, he gives you mo way more than you expect. In, in a time when sometimes you meet guys on TV and you know them from TV and you want them to be a certain way, and then they're not. Jimmy Hart is exactly what you want him to be. Right. And he still comes out on Twitter, and he will still come to your event and still, with his megaphone, cause a disruption, which is a lot of fun. Uh, he, has a, uh, he has a property in Daytona Beach, a hotel, uh, which I think you and I ought to consider going down there one day, one weekend, and doing our podcast. Yeah, we, we ought to do a Bash at the Beach themed podcast on the beach at Jimmy Hart's place. No question. He would love to have us, and I'd love to uh, – I, you know, uh, I think Jimmy's mad at me, though. Well, who's not, in fairness? 
Well, a lot you're not. No, yet. I'm not yet. But you know, we're yeah. getting there. All your broadcast partners eventually hate your fucking guts. So it's just. Well, a matter why of, would you think that is? Well, I mean, don't don't I come across as a nice guy? Nice guy. Nah. <laughs> nah. What the fuck is nah? <laughs> so why, why why do you have heat with Jimmy Hart? Uh, I okay. Jimmy Hart was trying to when WCW went down. Jimmy Hart was trying to get back into wrestling, get another wrestling product on TV. He was very much associated with the XWF. Right. Uh, and he and I negotiated for me to come there, and I talked to Jimmy about it, and we came up with a price, and I worked for the XWF. He came up with something else, and he called me, and this was months later, maybe a year later. He called me. He said, I want to use you. He said, you're my man, because he always loved my work. He said, you're my man. I want to use you, uh, and I've got this idea you think you can come work for us? And I talked to my people at uh, Cox Media Group, WSB, and they told me, enough with the wrestling. Uh, no more. So I told Jimmy, I said, Jimmy, I can't do it. They won't let me do it. I'm sorry. So I thought he got angry at me because of that. I, I hope he, he realizes well. that it wasn't my call. Uh, but that's what I'm thinking. So that's I thought maybe that I have some meat. I may, I may not. I don't no, know. I can't imagine that he would. Uh, okay. I tell you what, though, there uh, there probably was some heat about this move. A little corporate shakeup right around Uncensored we should touch on. Uh, Harvey Schiller, former chairman of the United States Olympic Committee and commissioner of the Southeastern Conference and current head of TBS Sports, is now the chief overseer of WCW, which has been moved from TBS programming to the TBS Sports Division. This is all from the Wrestling Observer Newsletter. Schiller, who was introduced to the staff on Thursday, replaces Bill Shaw as the head of WCW. The move was expected by many close to the company for at least the past six months. Schiller's role is more of an overseer, and rumor has it that he isn't much of a hands-on administrator and certainly won't be when it comes to pro wrestling. So Eric Bischoff will still make the major decisions. Meltzer continued, It is believed the new company direction under Schiller is to produce more of a children's-oriented product and place greater emphasis and focus, if that's even possible, on Hulk Hogan. The belief is that Schiller, who was hired by TBS to clean up the huge financial losses of the Goodwill Games as head of WCW and TBS Sports, that there will be more interfacing between the two organizations. Uh, How is this received? Uh, What was everybody, the wrestling people's take on Bill Shaw? And how do they see him being replaced with Harvey Schiller? Is this a good move? Does it have people nervous? Uh, What's the temperature amongst the boys? It always has people nervous when there's a change at the top. Uh, Bill Shaw was very, very appreciated uh, and very well liked. He made some uh, strategic moves. He's the one that uh, had Eric Bischoff, put Eric Bischoff in in front of the company. And he was also the guy who who was responsible for chasing JR away from uh, WCW. Uh, he did not like Jim Ross, did Bill Shaw, uh, and uh, that's basically why Jim left. Now Harvey Schiller comes in, uh, who obviously had worked for George Steinbrenner, as you said, worked for the USOC, uh, the SEC, uh, the general, and uh, I absolutely loved it. I I, yeah, I met with uh, uh, the general many times, and he was a uh, he was a straight talking guy, and and I've always loved that from a boss. Uh, what did the boys think about it? I don't think the boys had too much a concern about it as long as Eric was still in the company. However, when you talk about it being more of a children's product, this is where things starts to change in WCW. 
And we see this with Uncensored. When we were told we were going to have an event called Uncensored, and then we were told we couldn't bleed. Yeah. Uh, I remember us saying, well, that's fucked up. <laughs> and, and really, that, that was fucked up. And if you listen to Uncensored, if, if out there, if you guys have watched Uncensored, you hear Heenan and I say, it's Uncensored. And we say it over and, and over. over and over again because it was a rib. Yeah. Be- because we knew that it wasn't Uncensored because we couldn't bleed. Right. And uh, so that was that was Heenan and I, uh, I guess, kind of having uh, fun, do- having fun, doing things on our own, uh, being smart asses. Because we knew we couldn't bleed, and we were we were actually kind of pissed off about it. How can you have an uncensored event if you're going to fucking censor it? Which is what happened. <laughs> That's great. I can't wait to talk about it. But first, let's talk about the business aspect a little bit. In 1995, WCW would add two more pay-per-views to their annual schedule, and then the WWF would respond shortly thereafter by creating In Your House. So this would fill in the gaps, so they had a show every single month. Uh, in Your House, of course, is a shorter pay-per-view format, for $14.95. How did you feel about the evolution of the business, Tony? When you first get in, pay-per-view is not really a thing. They're selling closed circuit once a year. Eventually, it becomes a thing, and you guys start to do a handful a year. But now you're doing 10, and the WWF is coming back and doing 12. So once upon a time, there were you know two pay-per-views a year, and then there were four, and then there were eight, and now there's 22. Uh, what did you take of the? What did you make of this pay per view decision? I thought it was a smart business move, and I thought it, it signaled as Eric and I think Eric put this in his book as Eric wanted to say goodbye to the house show business. Right. Uh, however, the, the problem is with making pay per views, you try to make them bigger than life, and therefore your capital outlay or your expenditures are much higher for a pay per view event than they are for a house show. Because the fireworks and the settings and the, the TV people and everything. But it, it was the way to go. And, of course, it's, it's kind of the way the business has gone. Uh, I mean, let's face it. If you can't get people to stay in their homes and charge them twenty nine ninety five or whatever the, uh, the ticket price was for that, you can put a lot more people watching your event sitting at home than you can put in the Baltimore arena. Oh, for sure. And then, then you can get a house show as well. And then you can afford to paper it a little bit more. And thus make it look a little bit fuller, which is always a very important thing on a on a television show to make it look full, to make it look exciting, to make it look like people wanted to come. So this was the way the business was going, and this was the right move. Uh, let's also talk about uh, WCW increasing. This is the first time they did this for Uncensored 95. They increased the price of the pay-per-view if you buy it the day of the show. Now, that's historically the day that most orders come in. But WCW's trying something new here. If you order the pay-per-view ahead of time, you'll pay $27.50. But if you wait and order the show the day of, it will cost you $5 more, $32.50. And it's worth mentioning here that WCW at the time had been charging $24.95 if Hogan wasn't on the show. And if he was on the show, it was $27.50. So that extra $2.55 goes to the Hulkster, brother. Uh, Tony, whose idea do you think this was to add a same-day increase, and do you think it was a good one? Because they have done this for a long time with tickets, 
If you buy your ticket ahead of time, it's this. If you buy it at the door, it's this. But this is the first time WCW tried it for pay-per-view. Whose idea, and, and what did you think of that? Uh, I think that they shouldn't have had any different prices for pay-per-views. I think they should have come up with a a one flat price, regardless of if Hogan was there or not. If you're going to charge $2.50 when Hogan is on the card more, or whatever the price point was, why not charge it when he's not there? There you go. I agree. Because the, you're saying now you're saying, oh, you're not getting everybody, so we're going to charge you less. Just make it one price, same price, even if you buy the day of. So now if it's $5 more the day of, make it $5 more three weeks prior to it. It was I, this was I, this was a, a combined effort, but but Eric was always behind those decisions because he ran the company. To me, you know, five dollars is not motivation enough for me to make a commitment. But a hundred dollars off is quite a deal over at podcastmovement.com. Wouldn't you agree, Tony? I would agree, and we're getting closer to podcast movement. The big event comes up in Anaheim this August. It's three days of workshops, panels, parties, and more. And you can learn more at podcastmovement.com. And here's how you can save $100, like Conrad just talked about. And believe you me, Conrad knows the value of $100, don't you? Yes, sir. Absolutely. You're damn right you do. Go to podcastmovement.com and use the code TONY. That's T-O-N-Y. And you can save $100 off a of registration. Now, Podcast Movement, the world's largest gathering of new and veteran podcasters or anyone looking to start their own podcast, because this will teach you, show you how to start it the right way. 2,000 podcasters from around the world will be on hand, and they'll all be in Anaheim this August for three days of the workshops. The Expo Hall features 50 podcast services and equipment providers. So whether you're in the market for a microphone, like apparently I always am, or trying to figure out where to host your podcast, anyone who matters will be on this site to help you out. Learn more at podcastmovement.com. And don't forget, use the code TONY. That is T-O-N-Y. Don't put in slapdick. Okay, put in Tony, T-O-N-Y, and you will save $100 off registration. Podcast movement coming to Anaheim this August. And if I get Conrad down there, I'll take him to Disney World, and we will go ride some of the rides. Now, let me just tell you. I'm sorry, I, Disneyland. I'm all, I'm all about it. Uh, I have been uh, a big fan of podcast movement and what they're trying to put together. Obviously, I'm a big fan of podcasting. And uh, if you have any interest in uh, learning how to do a show, make money at your show, make your show better. Uh, all of this stuff can happen at podcastmovement.com. And there's a lot happening at Uncensored 1995. Uh, in the Observer, Meltzer would review it and call it WCW should have been censored. Uh, the poll from the readers had 9.6% thumbs up, 85.3% thumbs down, and 5.2% in the middle what would you say, Tony? Thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs in the middle. Thumbs down completely. Thumbs down even before we started the event. Wow. You had your mind yeah. made up right away. Yeah, because you couldn't bleed. Because we were, we had censored uncensored. <laughs> name it some, you know, name it something else. Uh, WCW, we wanted to be uncensored, but fuck it, censored 1995. Roll time. Something like that. that. Yeah, I'm not mad at that. Yeah. So, you know, so again, if you listen to the commentary, Heenan and I took that to an extreme. Because I say, why? Bobby said, because it's uncensored. And I go, yeah. And we just, you know, I, I, I'm sure we didn't help it out any. But I do want to say about this event. 
and I, I was talking to you about this. There were some parts of this event, and if, if you buy a pay-per-view, I, I, everybody's looking for something different, right? Sure. I mean, I mean Meltzer is looking for great wrestling yeah. as he sees it. And a lot of the guys in the dirt seats are looking for wrestling, great wrestling as they see it. Right. You didn't get that, but you got some entertaining things. Some things that watching back that I was laughing out loud. I was watching it. Uh, I was watching this on the bus between Rochester, New York, and Pawtucket, Rhode Island, with the Gwinnett Braves, and I had my headphones on, and the guys were were really having a good time listening to me laugh about the commentary. And when when Sherry and the Nasty Boys and Harlem Heat got into the uh, uh, concession stands, I mean, I was laughing out loud. Some of the things that Heenan said made me laugh. Seeing Ric Flair with mascara on was a, was was very entertaining. Uh, as shitty as the Jim Duggan match was the uh, with Ming, uh, some of the antics of him right before the event with Sonny Ono uh, were funny as well. So there was a lot of entertaining things within the show. Right. But as a wrestling show, now nah, thumbs down. Uh, the best match on the uh, poll uh, from the Wrestling Observer Newsletter was the Nasty Boys Harlem Heat. It barely beat Hulk Hogan and Fader. The worst match in a landslide was Jim Duggan and Ming. Yeah. Um, in Tupelo, they would draw 5,782 fans. About 4,900 or so were paid. Uh, the building drew $83,650, and it was set up for 7,000 fans. So not a huge draw, but I can't help but wonder, Tony, why Tupelo, Mississippi? It doesn't seem like a place that you would want to hold a pay-per-view. Really? Well, I, I kind of thought uh, it was a brand-new venue at that time, a nice venue, and, and I kind of thought I, I kind of thought it was it was a pretty good place to hold it. So you thought uh, I'm, I'm not disparaging the uh, the venue or or Tupelo. I have family from there, but it seems kind of like I don't remember the WWF holding a pay per view in Tupelo, Mississippi. Right. And I'm sure well, somebody on Twitter yeah. is going to hit me and say, "No, they did. It was such and such." But it doesn't feel like it's one of the the staple markets that you hear that you hear a lot of the time. It's not Philadelphia. It's not Baltimore. It's not Orlando. It's not Charlotte. It's not Atlanta. Those were kind of the staples to me for WCW, and this is Tupelo. Right. But guess what? It's uncensored. <laughs> <laughs> so why not? You know, you, you can't always, and you and I have talked about this before, you can't always say we're going to have an event on this date and put it wherever you want to put it. Right. It doesn't work like that in booking venues. And but you got to find something that, that's available something that you think will sell out for you or something that you think will look good on camera for you. They do site surveys and all that. So, you know, it's easy for us to say, well, this was the wrong decision, but and not trying to defend uh, Gary Juster or uh, Zane Bresloff or even Eric, you, you can't always pick the one you want. And this probably worked out the best for him for this date. So there. And how about this? It was a success. Meltzer would write, estimates are that Uncensored did a .96 buy rate, which would make it the biggest money show in the company's history because of the in increase in price. It would be a $2.84 million gross. Hogan's share of the show would be about $725,000. For all the knocks that Hogan is killing the company, the facts are he's bringing in more money than they've ever made before. You can question much about him, and it's all valid. But that's the price you pay for getting someone who can double your buy rates. The only question is if his 
own deal that pays him so much makes this a fair trade-off. And right now, after two more big pay-per-view shows, the answer seems to be toward Hogan signing as a plus once again. So of course it was. There's lots of, was. Of, lots of negativity about Uncensored 95, and for years and years, people have been critical of this show and made fun of it, and that's what we're about to do. However, I feel like I should just read that again. It would make it the biggest money show in the company's history. Wow. Yeah. Price point and Hulk Hogan. There you go. It's just I mean, a, that's it. It's amazing to me. Uh, yeah. But, of course, what everybody wants to talk about is the controversy that came out of the show. Um, we'll get there in a minute, and we'll probably talk about it after the match in particular. But I should mention that Gene Okerlund misses this show. Uh, he has gotten word that a donor was found, and he had kidney replacement surgery just a few days before the show. Uh, by this point, he was doing he was recovering nicely. And he was slated to be back on TV in a few weeks. So instead of seeing me and Gene doing all the backstage interviews, you see Mike Tanay here on the show doing all of the interviews. Um, let's get to the actual card. There were a few dark matches. Uh, they had Alex Wright pin Mark Starr with a crossbody off the top in two minutes and 44 seconds. Meltzer called it a decent squash match for one star. Any memories of Alex Wright and Mark Starr? Yeah, uh, Jim Barnett gave it two and a half stars. Gave it, he gave actually, it, he gave it two and a half woodies. I was going to say three thumbs up. Okay. <laughs> uh, Steve, and, no, two thumbs up and one thumb in. You liked that, didn't you? I don't know where to go with that one. Okay. Uh, Steve Austin pinned Tim Horner with a superplex. In a minute and 27 seconds, Rob Parker was scouting Austin, and Austin left the ring with Parker. I'm surprised they aren't at least letting Horner look more competitive in his jobber role. That is directly from the Observer. Uh, Dave gave it a quarter star. Steve Austin, one of the biggest stars in the history of the business, is not only not on the pay-per-view, he's in a dark match, but he's wrestling Tim Horner in a minute and 27 seconds. How fucking mismanaged is Steve Austin here? Oh, my God. I don't even want to talk about this. I mean, I don't even want to talk about Stone Cold. I don't. It it's it to me it's one of the high water marks of the low points of WCW. A year later he would be in the WWF and on his way to becoming the King of the Ring and then the Stone Cold character right around that same time in just twelve short months. But here, uh working one minute one and a half minute less than that, dark matches yep. against Tim Horner. The last dark match before we go live for pay per view is Marcus Bagwell and the Patriot defeating Dick Slater and Bunkhouse Buck, they go about nine minutes and 34 seconds before Bagwell pins Slater with a fisherman suplex. Uh, After this, Vader does an interview uh, where he comes out with Jimmy Hart's jacket, and the storyline for the rest of the show was that Jimmy Hart had disappeared. And uh, also prior to the pay-per-view kicking off, they do a taped interview with Smoke in the background saying that his his ultimate surprise is the Renegade. And it wasn't the Ultimate Warrior. Uh, We'll talk about that uh, a little bit later, too. But first, I should mention that the Ultimate Surprise and the way it had been teased for the pay-per-view, Meltzer would report, was originally supposed to be the Road Warriors, not the Renegade. But Hawk wound up being booked on March 19th. So they got word that instead uh, they had found Richard Wilson. Uh, We'll talk about how all that comes about, but... 
Do you remember the original plan being that the Road Warriors would be in Hogan's Corner instead of the Renegade? I thought they were trying to get the Ultimate Warrior. Yeah, that's exactly right. So the the concept here, according to Meltzer, is they tried to get the Road Warriors, and he was booked. The Hawk was booked on March nineteenth. So instead, they pivoted and tried to book uh, Jim Helwig, and Jim right. wanted two and a half million dollars. <laughs> WCW would balk at that. Yeah, well, um, I guess so. So instead, this all comes about. I guess we can t- we can talk about it right now. We'll talk about the Renegade. Uh, Wilson grew up in rural Georgia and was best friends with a Georgia independent wrestler named Mike Servich. Uh, he received some minimal training from a former wrestler out of Columbus, Georgia, named Jerry Oates. And then eventually Wilson would move to the Boston area where he worked as a part of a stripper show called Men in Motion. Uh, mm. While he was doing one of his strip dances, he met an independent promoter slash karate instructor named Dick Byrne at one of his strip shows, and the two struck up a conversation. Uh, when somehow Byrne comments that Wilson looks like the Ultimate Warrior, Wilson tells him he trained with Jerry Oates. Immediately, Byrne wants to book him and suggests that they stay away from the Warrior gimmick, instead helping Wilson create a Tarzan-style character called Rio Lord of the Jungle. Now, of course, Byrne sees money in him because he has a good physique. The women are going nuts for him. He knows how to bump. Uh, why would we not create a character for him and put him on my independent shows? But they quickly find out he doesn't have a lot of ring skill. So they book him in short matches because he's just limited in the ring. Fast forward now, that is um, 1992 when all of that starts to happen. Uh, 95 rolls around. Hogan wants to bring in the Road Warriors. Hawk is booked. They pivot and try to get the Ultimate Warrior in. Hellwig asks for two and a half million a year. WCW passes, and somehow this gets out. And a New England indie promoter named Wendell Weatherby used to be Hellwig's driver when they both worked for the WWF back when Warrior was on top. When Wendell hears this, he suggests to Jimmy Hart, "Hey, you guys should talk to this kid Wilson, who's working indies in Boston, named Rio Lord of the Jungle." So when WCW comes calling, Wilson didn't want to take the deal. He was adamant he didn't want to do a warrior gimmick, and that was because Byrne had convinced him years before that the fans would shit on him for being an imitator. So stay away from the warrior gimmick, and instead, they created this Tarzan gimmick, Rio Lord of the Jungle. It's worth mentioning while he was working that gimmick, Wilson did meet Hellwig at indie shows, uh, and they had no issues. Of course, later, that would not be the case. Anyway, in the end, as we all know, Wilson took WCW's offer. They brought him in for TV to build up this uncensored show. And after his appearance at the pay-per-view, WCW signed him for $150,000 a year. Uh, Of Mm. course, WCW was doing everything they could to convince the audience that this was the ultimate warrior, down to the hair, the gear, the music, the mannerisms, etc., the no-selling, the dancing, the whole thing. Uh, Even when uh, Hogan called him the ultimate surprise... They were trying to make you think that that's what this is. And, of course, he's saying he needs someone in his corner because Vader is going to have Flair in his corner. Flair can't wrestle because he lost a retirement match. So he's just, you know, in in Vader's corner now looking for revenge against Hogan. Uh, Wilson's tights have RW on them because his original name was to be the Renegade Warrior. But when that gets out, the WWF threatens legal action, and they let him use the tights because he says, well, that's my real name, Richard Wilson. But they just call him the Renegade. And that portion of the name 
is based on the popular TV show at the time from Lorenzo Lamas. So that's kind of how we get to the Renegade. Uh, and I'm sure we will talk about that more in this show. But when you first hear, hey, they're trying to bring in Warrior, do you perceive that? Because you were there when Warrior's push kind of started in a big way. Do you perceive that as a good thing for WCW, or does it feel like Hogan's got an axe to grind and just wants revenge from WrestleMania six? or do you think that he's going to be a draw? I ask that because Warrior was not regarded as being a success as being champion at the end of his WWF championship run. Yeah, but you know, Warrior and Hogan uh, at WrestleMania six, I thought had a, a very good match. Sure. Uh, because of the finish, and uh, Pat Patterson uh, set up that whole match, and they both really worked it, I thought, to perfection. I thought it was one of the better matches, world title matches Hogan had, even though he lost it. I, I don't see it as – was there a thought out there that Hogan wanted revenge from Warrior to get back at him for losing that match? Really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Wow, that runs deep then, doesn't it? Resentment runs deep. Uh, I thought bringing in the Warrior would, you know, would I mean, we got Savage, we got uh, Hogan, we got Jimmy Hart, we got Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Why not uh, give the Warrior a shot? Although I did, I did not know how far it would be able to go with it, and as a result, it was it was a popcorn fart, as you know, with us. But I think Dick Byrne was right. Uh, that uh, trying to do the warrior gimmick, the fans would shit on it. Uh, I think the fans, when uh, when the uh, renegade warrior came running out, I think there were a lot of fans popped thinking that was the ultimate warrior coming out. But as a result, it looked like exactly what it was. A well, ripoff of the ultimate warrior, and it looked pretty shitty. Why is there so little creativity within WCW where... You know, they want Jim Duggan to still carry the two-by-four. They want Jake Roberts to still carry the snake. They can't call him the big boss man, so he's the guardian angel. We can't call him Earthquake, so he's Avalanche. Uh, you know, what? What? why is it just, hey, let's just uh, make it a shittier, dumbed-down version of what they were before? Why is there no interest in trying to create something new and instead just recycling some old shit? The thought was recycling old shit was, I guess, easier and better because of the success that they had had, these stars had had uh, in the 80s with the WWF. It's I, I can't defend it, but you're exactly right. Uh, a lot of times, a lot of times in WCW, it was just recycling shit, just recycling, just trying to to go back and uh, take advantage of the old days and the old days being the eighties, even the late seventies. That's what they tried to do. And that was one of the reasons we went downhill. Do you remember, uh, can you tell us anything about uh, the renegade in real life? Meltzer would write that he was quiet at TV tapings, kind of kept to himself. and didn't appear to be close to anybody. Uh, obviously we'll talk about in the future that he had wins over Steve Austin Paul Orndorff and Arn Anderson probably well before he was ready, and maybe he never was ready to go over those type guys. But do you remember anybody, anybody kind of having heat with him? I mean, essentially, he's just doing what's been told 
No, uh, he was a very nice, quiet young man, and uh, exactly, I, I felt the same way. It was put in a role that he wasn't ready for. But how do you turn down one hundred and fifty k a year? Sure. And when the bookers say you're going to go over, what are you going to say? You know what? I don't think I should because Paul Orndorff has been a great performer all his life. You don't do that. You because the more push you get, the more money you think you're going to make. So he was in a tough spot here, and, and I'm not so sure he had heat with the guys. I think maybe the booking committee had heat with the guys because of this, or the bookers had heat with the guys because of this. But uh, yeah, he was in a tough spot. But he, you're right. He stayed to himself. He was quiet, and uh, I had no problems with him. Well, uh, let's go ahead and have some fun. Uh, what I want to encourage everyone to do right now is pull it up on your network. This is what you were hoping for. Uh, go ahead and go to the very beginning of Uncensored 95. And uh, if you're doing it on your computer uh, like I am, it actually just pulls up at 2 minutes and 23 seconds. Uh, so if you'll go ahead and start it at the very beginning, which is 2 minutes and 23 seconds, uh, Tony is going to take you back to your childhood here for the rest of the show. And uh, we're going to call some of the fun craziness that was Uncensored 1995. So by now, hopefully you're ready. Uh, Tony, are you ready on your end at 2 minutes and 23 seconds? I'm ready. Hit play now, everybody. It's WCW Uncensored. Some of the greatest wrestling matches in the history of bullshit will be happening right now in Tupelo. Yes, sir. We got a king of the road match. There are no rules. And by God, there's going to be blood and people will be fired because of it. Sting with a strap. He wasn't in a strap match. Anything with the nasty boys is uncensored. And the worst match ever, a martial arts match. No rules. Gene Okerlund is in the hospital. And we are going to bring you WCW uncensored boxer versus wrestler match where Arn Anderson did the best he could to sell some shitty blows. Take a look at the crowd at WCW Uncensored. And I'm Tony Schiavone. So good to have you with us here at Tupelo, Mississippi. As you can tell, we paid too much again for the fireworks. Can you imagine that right now some of the kids in the crowd are 30 years old right now? Holy smokes. If, of course, they lived that long. Good to have you with us, Tony Schiavone. (laughs) Conrad Thompson with a Bobby the Brain Heenan mask, and I have no idea who that goofball is. Oh, it's Mike Tanay over on the right. Hello, Mike. Good to have you with us. And Conrad, I'm sure you're as excited as we are about uncensored. This is going to be no rules, uncensored, anything goes. It's uncensored. It's unsanctioned. Now, I'm curious, Tony, if it's unsanctioned, why are the cameras here? Why is the logo on everything? Why is WCW paying us to be here? If it's unsanctioned, shouldn't this be in a bar somewhere? Well, yeah, it probably would have come out better if it had been a bar, but you got to have that logo out there, right? I got to tell you, you got to promote the product. I'm really Absolutely. excited for all the fans here in Tupelo, Mississippi, who bought their ticket, paid for parking, came out on this fine day to watch this first match on a fucking video screen. Absolutely. We're talking to Mike Tanay right now. I have no idea what he's having to say, but I do need to say this right now that Mike Tanay certainly became a fine announcer. Through the years, improved a great deal, uh, became a fine announcer, and was a great guy to work with. All three of us, me, Heenan, and whoa, wait a minute. Is that the ultimate warrior? It's whoa, it's the ultimate warrior. 
Oh, my God. Would you take a look at this guy? Does he have a fanny pack over his junk here, Tony? I think he does. And I've noticed that was the first thing that Conrad looked at. You know what was stupid about this open, Conrad? All of it. Yeah, yeah, but we're talking over Hulk Hogan talking. <laughs> what the fuck? Stop talking. Let Hulk Hogan talk. No one in the WWE would have talked over Hulk Hogan. How many tuxedos did you own back here, Tony Schiavone? I owned two. I owned a fat-ass one and a not-so-fat-ass one, and that was, my I think, my fat-ass one right there. By the way, both tuxedos are still in the closet, and uh, both tuxedos uh, don't fit now. <laughs> here we go. We're getting ready. Time for the King of the Road match. Let's take you out to North Georgia in a match that was uh, pre-taped. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, and what you're seeing right now is one of the biggest clusterfucks ever. Not because it is a, a <laughs> shitty design and a shitty set, uh, but with uh, cowboy boots, you can no, you can't stand. You see, you can't stand up there to try to uh, pull the the lever and the horn. Dustin Rhodes and the Blacktop Bully. A couple of things about this match that you fans may not know: we were in the no blood mode of WCW. Mike Graham, who was the agent for this match did not know that so everybody juiced then the guys had to come back and edit around all the juice so this match was absolutely almost an impossibility to get on the air the irises were down uh and they had to up the irises later as you'll see it looks like that they're wrestling here in uh, twilight before dark and then all of a sudden it looks like they're wrestling in the middle of the day. So in many ways, this was a complete fuck up from a production level, from a booking level. And because of this, and you know this, Conrad, as well as I do, uh, three very good performers got fired. Yeah, so one of the things I've been curious about when I watch this back is uh, where did you guys source this truck? Who, who's responsible for sourcing the truck and the props inside? David Crockett is. Um, this is all David Crockett's when when there's something like this and we paid for a fucking helicopter. That's, yeah, that, that's what yeah. I wanted to ask. They call this the WCW helicopter, but they've obviously rented a truck. They've rented a helicopter. It right. looks like they've got police escorts in front and back. Uh, yeah. They've got a truck on the side. They've got cameramen in the, in the truck uh, that's running in front of them that's pulling this load. And then they've got cameramen in the back of this truck. It looks like a total of maybe four slap dicks in the bed of that truck. Who are these folks who are shooting this? Because it seems like there is a crew between the helicopter, the folks on the 18-wheeler, and the slapdicks in the truck bed. Uh, Bill Tinsley's a part of this. Great guy, great cameraman. Neil Pruitt is a part of this. Uh, I'm sure Keith Mitchell is involved in this as well. And we had some other guys involved in it that uh, were not part of our WCW regular crew. But uh, it... Uh, I, I what, think what the, the guy is Barry Dorso oh. doing right? What what is Blacktop Bully doing right now? Okay, looked like he was trying to take a shit in the hay to me, <laughs> but he he just fell down. You know, there's another as as you continue to ride around North Georgia, there's another part of this that you that you don't realize, and that these two guys could have fallen out of this fucking truck and died, which it, would have probably made for good TV, uh, but wouldn't have been good for their families. I didn't understand time. why. The guys would try to climb up the side as if they were trying to get out and go over. 
Uh, I also don't understand how it makes these guys look like super-duper athletes when it appears as if they can't climb a fence. Yeah, they can't climb a fence, and you're going to see a couple of real, real great bumps here in just a minute on bales of hay. That's got to hurt, right? So, uh, uh, again, uh, David Crockett is responsible for this, and David has a, you know, David had a lot of responsibilities, uh, and I thought the look of this was not bad. <laughs> oh, my God, a bale of hay. How dangerous is head. that for those guys standing in the back of the truck bed, standing up, doing 50 miles an hour here, shooting? Wow. Uh, they're trying to climb up the side, Conrad, because I think that's the best, because of where this uh, horn was positioned, that was the best way to get up there. Whose idea was it to have guys wrestle in a, in a tractor trailer and the winner be the one who blows a horn? Uh, I don't know where the horn came in. I, I, I did not know that there was a horn going to be involved in that. And as the match went on, when it first started, uh, we were told, oh, by the way, the guy who blows the horn is the winner. And I went to myself, well, it's great to fucking know now. Uh, and right now, uh, the blacktop bully, I, what's he got there? Is that a rope? Yes. Okay. It, it, it's not, it's not Colonel, it's not Colonel Parker's that. either, but that T-shirt is available right. at ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash WHW. Uh, you know, they they ran around North Georgia for a long time with this. And again, look, you see how the iris is, is down yep. here? Mm-hmm. Okay. It's, it's just not just not shot that well. And, oh, there's the WCW helicopter that I'm sure cost us about $10,000. I remember David. Whoa! What, what was? Oh, my goodness. That was. Was that gasoline? Hell, that would have been a great idea. Make it gasoline. Set it on fire. And, and set set the. Uh, he's running a red. He's running a stop sign. What's he doing? Oh, it's Terry Taylor driving the truck. <laughs> the fuck! Thank God Terry Taylor's got something to do. And now they both are trying to get up to the top. Dustin's got these boots on, which he really can't get up. And somebody's got Colonel Parker's joint. Who is that uh, that we're seeing right now standing up? There's a guy shooting and a guy next to him. Uh, that looks like to me to be Bill Tinsley. Next to him, I'm not sure. Could be Keith Mitchell. So let's kind now, of. Now you see the, the iris is where it should be. So you see how things change on this? And now it dips down a little. Biddle! Belly to back! <laughs> Belly to back on the hay! That's going to hurt. Right, Conrad? Oh, man. Hay is not the most comfortable thing to get slammed on, for sure. No, it's not. It, it's hard. It's, uh, oh. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, by now, I'm thinking, and we're all thinking by now, uh, this man, this match should be fucking over. Well, uh, the guys the guys went in, and i got to give them credit for this. They, they went in and it did a, to try to make it look live. As you can see, the sun is setting in Tupelo. To try to make it look live, they would uh, edit in some uh, some interference and make it look like we had a microwave interference. Uh, that's what I wanted to, to get a, a huge comment on. I loved when you guys, or you specifically, would continually say microwave interference. Right. I was told to say that. I didn't come up with that on my own. I'm curious because somewhere in here, you guys have to make a stop. And there's a reference for, we've got to wait for a church bus. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, 
notice how oh gosh this this thing I, and again the, the guys had to go back and edit around the blood here and this is what the wide shots are about they would go to these wide shots you're seeing right now to edit not show out the some blood. of the bloody scenes and then come back so do you know uh, how this works do you guys have to rent the highway for this uh rent the highway yeah i don't think you can rent a highway but you certainly got to pay police to help you out with this i mean you're driving on both sides of the road and all that oh I mean, there goes there goes colonel parker's joint right out of the back he's gonna be pissed. that's a big one and now we are just begging and the fans watching at tupelo are begging for the blacktop bully to pull this fucking horn come on get this thing over with you know let's say this visually with the exception of what they had edited around and the problems with the iris up and the iris down, uh, visually, this is uh, pretty unique, wouldn't you say? No, listen, I, I get why, in theory, this might seem like it's a good idea. I, I wanted to know what you thought Crockett would have thought of this. Oh, this Out- is phenomenal. <laughs> Wasn't this great? Outside of Tupelo. He didn't have fun with this one. You know, and, and it's worth mentioning that uh, this was actually filmed on March 14th, as you said, uh, in, yeah. in a rural part of Georgia. Uh, outside of Atlanta, not in Tupelo. They right. originally go 20 minutes, and it has to be edited down to 13 minutes to get rid of all the blood. Um, what would Crockett have thought of this? Obviously, he's in charge of you know, putting together some of the props and some of the logistics here, but this seems like a great departure from the good old days of Jim Crockett promotions. Yeah, uh, David, David was the type of guy who did what he was told and and always looked at something like this as a challenge uh, and always would shake his head about the expenditures of what we were doing, of how over the top. I mean, think about how much this truck costs, the police escorts, the helicopter, uh, and just the absolute manpower it took to edit this thing together. I, I think you, you need to give a and, and if, you need to give a pat on the back to the guys who did all the post-editing on this. I thought it was I thought it was well done. We got to wait on the church bus here, right? Right. I uh, again, I was fed that line. I know I'm blamed for a lot of bullshit, but I'm fed. The, I'm fed the microwave line, and I'm fed the church bus line. I'll take credit for a lot of uh, bad shit that I said. Again, Terry Taylor. Does he have a beer between his legs? Hope he doesn't. Can't drink and drive. And what's, the, what's the purpose of the shot inside? Yeah, of the truck. There's, there's the church bus. And there's the microwave interference. Told you. So uh, is somebody in the helicopter trying to heat up a burrito? Where's this microwave interference coming from? <laughs> well, the microwave interference is coming from the signal from the wireless cameras to Tupelo. Oh. Oh. Oh, oh he just he just destroyed his little smash member. He crushed it. Oh, did he ever. Little blacktop bully will never be the same. They demolished it. My goodness, Dust. Now here's and, and as watching this match, I'm thinking, you know, if the truck takes a wrong turn or takes a swing to the left, and as you can see, the truck slowed down a great deal here. What these guys can fall out and kill themselves right here, absolutely kill themselves. And obviously, the guys in the truck shooting are telling the driver they're up on top. You know, no no false movements. But but you but absolutely you never know you can hit a pothole or something like that and uh, this is just uh, okay fans uh, you understand as well as I do and as well as Conrad does this 
in theory, sounded good, but it ended up being a clusterfuck. What did, and there's uh, some more microwave interference. What did Bischoff think of this idea? Uh, Obviously, Greenlit it, but. Yeah. I think he thought exactly. Well, I know he thought exactly what we all thought. That it was a good idea in theory, but it ended up being a clusterfuck. Is this uh, truck headed north to New York right now? Because we know that Darso would like to be back there as part of demolition. And right. this would be. this. Dustin Rhodes was so embarrassed by this that he painted the, his face for the rest of his career and, and actually yeah. went to uh, being a little androgynous cross-dressing there for a little while. Right. Well, He'd rather do that than this. He, well, yeah. So we're saying that this match is the beginning of Goldust, right? This match is responsible for Goldust. Without this match, Goldust may not exist. Uh, I'm not so sure about that. Uh, again, some more water. You know, uh Putting uh, Dusty in polka dots and dressing gold dust up or dusting up as gold dust was just, again, Vince's way of, you know, uh, laughing at the Rhodes family. And in both cases, he got it over. Boy, did he ever. How about that? How about that? All right. It's about time for this match to end. Again, the (laughs) object of this match. (laughs) I've been saying that for 10 minutes now, haven't I? Yeah. The object of this match is to go up and blow the horn and to be honest with you here's one of the things that about this match that that probably happened i'm not so sure these guys had a lot of time to work with this truck with this truck in other words to go up and and Try pull some stuff yeah to know here we go is he oh for look god's sake look at this in an eye rake this is kind of a mini scaffold match right now an eye break. He's selling the eye break. Why, why, can, why can wrestlers not climb faster? Whether it's a ladder match or yeah. it's in this truck bed, wrestlers just cannot. They really struggle going upwards. Dustin goes down and the bully pulls the horn. Hallelujah. <laughs> and the king of the road match is over. And so are the careers of Mike Graham uh, and. Uh, Barry Darso and Dustin Barry Rhodes. Darso and Dustin in- Rhodes. I, I'm I'm thinking right now. Mike Graham, who we you probably know, uh, is no longer with us. Uh, com- uh, committed suicide, uh, which blew me away. Mike was a great, great uh, agent. Worked hard, knew the business, and unfortunately, there it went. So now, Tony Schiavone, Bobby the Brain Heenan are screaming into the microphone. Trying to oversell a match, that sucked. I think Heenan is talking about Hogan and talking about Flair. Bobby knows, and we all know, that Hogan-Flair, the main event, is the most important thing. Now, I've got in my mind here wondering that, and this is not sliding Jimmy Hart, if Hogan and Flair is such a big, are such a big thing, why is the Jimmy Hart thing, oh, Lord, back we go to Mike Tanay. Does Arn Anderson look out of place here to you? What do you think? <laughs> We got, we got a gimmick Southern gentleman. We got Ming as a martial artist or a, uh, a ninja, and then we got Arn Anderson. <laughs> what is Ming again? What is Ming right here? What's that? What is Ming to you? What's his character? He, a ninja. <laughs> oh my god! I don't know why, but I love the way you say Kilbasi and ninja. Kilbasi, ninja. And Arn Anderson, uh, 
hey, let's talk there. about uh, this whole Mike Graham thing because the reason right. I mentioned earlier, you know, the original plan for Super Brawl was for Vader Hogan to get blood. Well, they did uh, two weeks prior to this, uh, or maybe even a week prior to this, in Chicago um, when Vader and Hogan were on top. And so they shoot 20 minutes here. It's cut down to 13 minutes. Mike Graham is the agent, so he's supervising the match. He tells them both to bleed and even brings them the blades. Even though the boys are just following orders from their superior, they get fired because they should have, quote-unquote, known better. Um, But Mike Graham thinks that this is an unsanctioned pay-per-view. It's even... You know, called uncensored. Hogan has just done it. Surely this calls to be an exception to the rule. But er- either way, everybody's fired. And the rumor mill starts up that this is actually just a cost cutting measure, as WCW had been ordered by management to reduce the budget by $500,000 annually. If they fired Dustin, Barry, and Mike, and this caused Dusty to quit, then they would more than meet that mark. And it seems like it nearly works because Dusty's hot about it and thinks that uh, his boy's been set up. And uh, Bischoff even replaces him with Bobby Heenan at the next set of TV tapings. And this happens right before WCW is supposed to honor Dusty in Florida at their next pay-per-view, which is centered around Legends Slamboree. Of course, we all know that Dusty wound up staying in the end. But, Tony, from your you know, recollection, what was the fallout of this match in regard to the firing? How was it received by the boys? It was received just exactly the way you said, as a setup. To cut the budget. It was an easy excuse. And I'm not necessarily blaming uh, Eric Bischoff for this. Probably it came from up top. You know, uh, with when Harvey Schiller took over, they looked a li- he looked a little bit closer as to what was going on in WCW. Oh, did you see that kick by the ninja that time? <laughs> right in the face. Hey, I, I do need to say one thing that I thought we did correctly in this show. Lots of video packages. Look- that's exactly. Video packages to set up the matches. Yeah, this seems like one of the first shows that I remember you guys doing it in a big way because you right. you have an idea about who all the characters are, what's been going on yeah. in the storyline. Yeah. Uh, it's very well put together in that regard. Uh, as far I as did that, not, I did not build those packages, but I was a big proponent of that, and, and I talked about us doing that a lot. So you like big packages? And, I did. I, and, I, I, I thought every I thought every match during a pay per view should mean something. Just not a throwaway match. It'd have a meaning to it. Here we go. And I thought packages would make the meaning. And now, here comes Ming, the ninja. Truly one of the toughest guys legitimately ever in WCW. And behind him, Colonel Robert Parker. Why? Why is he behind him? Of all the people, why would a southern plantation owner be managing a ninja? Well, he was the greatest promoter ever. Is, That's what we said. Is Ming your favorite Samoan ninja ever? Uh, N- Ming is my favorite Samoan ever. And ninja? Ming, Ming may be one of my favorite wrestlers ever. I remember saying at one time that if I ever took over WCW instead of Eric Bischoff, if it had been me getting that job, and thank the Lord it didn't happen, that I would have hired Ming to be with me everywhere. When I negotiated contracts with the boys. And here he is coming in to this martial arts match. Now, when I'm wondering. When I, I think martial arts, I think Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Don't you, Tony? <laughs> exactly. If you're wondering why Hacksaw Jim Duggan is involved in a martial arts match, 
then my answer is I don't fucking know either. But here he comes, and there's no question that Jim Duggan, who now lives in the beautiful state of South Carolina, really gets fan reaction. No denying that. Not one of the greatest workers in the world, but look at the fan reaction he gets out there from the fans. They really milked the end, the beginning of this with Sonny Ono and bowing and all that bullshit. And I guess they were trying to get some time out of it. But take a look at the Tupelo Coliseum. Pretty damn good, right? Well, that's a word for it. To me, right. Hacksaw Jim Duggan here reminds me of uh, Ray Jackson from the movie Bloodsport. Uh, yeah. Donald Gibb is the guy who played him, who was in the Revenge of the Nerd movies. But uh, he, he, when he's trying to do the – we got to talk about Sonny Ono here. Yeah. This is before we see Sonny Ono, the heel manager. I'm, I'm just going to be quiet and let you do your thing, Tony. My apologies. What's that? I'm just going to lay out and let you do your thing here. This is, right. this is fucking gold. Uh, Duggan, using that two-by-four as, well, he wants to chant, USA. U.S. Go ahead, Conrad. USA. 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 Yeah, baby. That's what I'm talking about. The chant of USA from Conrad Thompson. All right, here we go. Now, remember, a martial arts match is a little different than most fans. First of all, they got to come in and they have to bow to the referee. Bow, dumbass. And then you've got to bow to your partner. But Hacksaw wants to chant USA. Now, Colonel Parker's going to get involved in this. Do you see what Colonel Parker just said to him? What did he say? He pointed and said, my dick is bigger than yours. Oh, my gosh. That's right. And bigger than, actually, my dick is bigger than Sonny Ono. But Hacksaw will have none of it. USA, USA. And here, well, please, for God's sake, bow. <laughs> oh, all right. Here we go. Well, shit. Hacksaw doing a little sumo preparation here. Yeah. <laughs> Still refusing yeah, to bow. Loose. All right. I bow. Now, again, don't forget, fans, this thing is uncensored. Oh, my gosh. Hacksaw's bowing to everybody. <laughs> All right, thank God we'll get this match started. Hacksaw, bow to the yeah, bow to the master. Thank you. Who booked this shit? Oh God. All right. Why well, is, you know what I would do right now? I just throw his ass out and get to the next match. Why is Sonny Ono letting this go as long as it is? Why isn't he just starting the match? Yeah. It's part of that. Okay, he bowed. Oh, good. He bowed. Thank the Lord he bowed, and now he's got to bow to his opponent. See, Ming did it. Do you think there's some sort of learning disability here? I I, I don't know. I think uh, Hacksaw's trying to stall, so if they told him he's got nine minutes, what's he going to do? He probably knows one karate move, and it's Ralph Macchio's. <laughs> the, uh, the crane? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, he bowed, and Ming took the cheap shot. Oh, that Henri son of a bitch. Right in the kisser. And now Duggan's going to lay on the carpet for about three minutes. Pin him. One, two. Oh, great job of counting there by Sonny Uno. You know, Sonny was a great karate champion at one time. Martial arts champion. 
And he was good. Through into the Eric Bischoff, into the throat. Hacksaw comes firing back with right hands. Ming, not selling shit. Right hands to the side of the head. Kicks him again. Oh, into the throat. And what the hell's Duggan doing? Ah, the old karate boot to the head. The old karate boot, and now he's got Ming reeling. And Ming's reeling for the first time in this. He comes back with a big elbow. And down goes Jim Duggan. I think I could say here, and I think you would agree with me, Conrad, and all the fans watching, this is this is how karate should be. Take off your boot, hit him in the head with it, nerve hold on the trapezius. This is karate. This is martial arts at its best. This may be the beginning of ultimate fighting, don't you think? Uh, it had been around for over a year okay. at this point. All right. Well, maybe this made it popular. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Hacksaw Jim Duggan's one of the godfathers of the UFC. They should probably put him in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> yeah, see, I often wonder why Ming painted his face for this one. But then again, remember, in this match, he is no longer a security guard. He's a ninja. And he keeps kicking it. Duggan pulls off his shirt. He had had enough. And now rights and lefts with a tape fist and the tape hands. And what is he doing to Ming? Trying to choke him with a part of his shirt? They're back in the corner. As you can tell, Sonny Ono really in charge of this match. Basically, kind of standing over to the side Why? with his hand on his joint doing nothing. What what, back. what is the referee supposed to do in a karate match? And in a karate match, are pinfalls, boot strikes, and shoulder nerve holds permitted? Uh, no. But remember, Conrad, this is uncensored unsanctioned anything goes all right so this is the one thing that we can say that makes it all seem right so here's Remember the question that. i guess if there are no rules yeah why do all the matches have themes if there are I no rules I, I i can't give an answer to that with the exception of all of a sudden we've seen oh right to the throat we have seen a king of the road match and we've seen jim duggan here in a martial arts match if you know those are the two matches, then you just got to fucking play along because, you know, we have no fucking idea what's going on. To the back of the head, using the ropes. One thing about a martial arts match, most martial arts matches are, oh, Sonny Ono was admonishing Ming, and Duggan comes over with a big right hand. But most martial arts matches do not have ring ropes, do they? Or turnbuckles. No. So they're taking advantage of it here. Do you know Why? Why? It's uncensored. Look at all those empty seats in the background. We'll see those empty seats in the background. Is that what you're looking at? Well, it's easier to watch than Hacksaw Jim Duggan in a martial arts match. (laughs) Uh, The good news about all of this is that Ming is taking command of this match as he should. And again, right to the trapezius. Ming is working on the shoulders of Duggan. Now, Duggan's starting to come back. Trying to get the fans with him, but Ming kicks him again. Back and forth they go. Slugging it out. Using many great martial arts techniques. Such and he as. goes back to the nerve hold again. Let's call the what would these nerve holds be called if if they had a wrestling name? If Ming, uh, they would be Ming's called the uh, Vulcan Death Grip. There you go. Okay. So a Vulcan Death Grip. What what is what is what is Duggan doing right now? Uh, Duggan is trying to show that he's still in the match. 
It's the old gimmick where you raise the hand once and you raise the hand twice. And the third time, he's still in the match. And here he comes back up trying to get the fans behind him. And there's one fan behind him clapping. So he's got one fan going. Into the midsection. Here comes the Duggan back. Headbutt coming. Oh, <laughs> wrong thing to do. Actually, pretty good job that time of selling the headbutt on the other end, don't you say? Yeah, you can't headbutt a Samoan. It's like no, no, top five rules in wrestling. No, no, you can't. And now, Ming. Oh, goodness. This has to hurt legitimately right here. Pulling on the neck. It's going to give Colonel Parker a chance to do some shit. There we go. One of my favorite managers of all time right there. Now, what, what was Parker. he choking him with right there? I couldn't tell. Uh, <laughs> I know what you're trying to. Uh, uh, it, it was his hanky. Okay. His hanky? That's what he calls it? Yeah, it was his hanky. Hmm. <laughs> That's not what he calls it. it. wasn't his jump rope. It was his hanky to the jaw again. Man, Ming is so tough. Here he comes, off the ropes. Oh, try the karate elbow drop. And now trying to elbow drop from Korea. He missed that one. Duggan's coming back. And the fans in the front, one guy is standing up. And here comes Duggan. Do you think he'll win this match? We're going to find out, hopefully, soon. Oh, he kicks him in the chest. And now a forearm shot again. Back and forth they go. What turned out to be a real shitty martial arts match has turned not so shitty. They're in the corner, and Sonny Ono's trying He's to punching. get him out of the corner. What's he punching right now? What's he punching? <laughs> Did I miss something here? Yeah, he fucking. Well, Duggan missed his face about thirty-eight fucking times. Okay, all right. Well, see, you don't. It's not the fact that he here here comes the three-point stance could be over. Oh. Tremendous clothesline. That got a pretty good pop. But the monster has arisen. Is that a word, arisen? It is. And back they go to the corner again. Colonel Parker's involved. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) And we're getting ready to see a real shitty finish. Now grab his hand. There you go. Stretch him out. Big kick. Match over. One, two, three. Thanks to Sonny Ono and Colonel Robert Parker, Ming, the Merciless, wins the martial arts match. And he bows to Sonny Ono, and this fucker's over. Blacktop Bully defeating Dustin Rhodes in the King of the Road match was described as absolutely horrible to watch because of the way it was shot and edited. Negative two stars from Dave Meltzer. Yep. This Ming-Jim Duggan match... Uh, <laughs> Meltzer wrote, they tried to set it up like it was a karate-style match, except I've never heard of pinfalls in karate. This was yep. among the worst matches of all time. Duggan looked much worse than usual, which I didn't even think was possible. Finish saw Duggan use the spear on Ming, who then popped right back up since they are trying to push him as a monster. Duggan then began pounding on Rob Parker as the ref grabbed Duggan's arm from punching, leaving him outstretched. Ming delivered a thrust kick for the pin, negative two stars, uh, we're not going to call the next match, but it was Johnny B. Bad defeating Arn Anderson in a boxer versus wrestler gimmick. Uh, the story here was that Rock Finnegan, who Meltzer was told was Mero's legit trainer when he was a Golden Gloves boxer in New York many years ago, yeah, uh, was here doing the 
uh, Burgess Meredith angle, the cut me Mick angle from uh, the Rocky movies. Uh, they fought in rounds, and the first round would see Bad overwhelming Anderson with fast punches, including some pretty serious ones to the body, or at least they look good. Uh, the second round would see Bad knock Anderson down four times, and then between rounds, Anderson would attack Bad and give him a DDT. Uh, Anderson would then ask the ref if it was a no-DQ match. When the ref says it is, he throws Bad over the top rope. Uh, that leads to Colonel Parker kicking Bad on the floor. Anderson whips Bad into his own stool, which breaks into a bunch of pieces, and then he hits the spine buster on him. At this point, Merrill's trainer jumps on Anderson's back. Bad makes a brief comeback, but Anderson throws him to the floor, where Parker starts beating on him again. Uh, and then the trainer starts to cut off Bad's glove. Finnegan puts a bucket on Anderson's head, uh, Anderson's head, and then Johnny B. Bad punches the bucket, takes the glove off, and with his bare hand delivers the knockout punch in 22 seconds of round three. Um, Meltzer would write, this was hardly the type of mixed match they do in Japan, but for what it was, it was entertaining. Two and a half stars. I felt like Arn made some chicken salad out of that match. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I agree. Why did Why does Meltzer compare everything to Japan? It's a good seemingly. question, I guess. I guess. There's an inside joke to this match, too. What's I don't that? know if you know about it or not. What's that? We always called in Arn Anderson Buckethead. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah, because he had such a big head. Okay. And then when they put the bucket on his head and kicked it, I even said, oh, look at that bucket head. And we laughed about that for weeks. That's phenomenal. So, uh, and the fact that Arn had the bucket put on his head just showed that Arn had a great sense of humor, too. Because, you know, Arn, Arn Anderson had and has a big noggin. Okay, real big head. So we always, I say, I always say you buckethead son of a bitch, and <laughs> they stuck the bucket on his head, and and I didn't know it was coming. He kicked it. It was phenomenal. So good um, stuff here. So the, let's talk about other nicknames before we move on. Uh, okay. I know that Arn called Flair Beak because of his right. big nose, right. and you guys called him uh, Buckethead because of his big head. Right. Why was J.J. Dillon Johnny Bench? Johnny Bench, because uh, he could hold five, seven baseballs in his right hand. Okay. Yeah, you have another answer to that, don't you? Well, uh, go ahead. Minnow, minnow bucket. Have you heard of that one? <laughs> yes, I have. Yeah. Do you want to explain? I, minnow bucket. I heard. Okay. Do you want to explain that what would, that, that one came is? Came from Arn Anderson. Okay. What's that? What's that about? That's uh, that. <laughs> <laughs> holy shit in the next God, match I, randy I, savage beat avalanche by dq okay, in okay, 11 minutes and 44 seconds you gonna do it yes i'm gonna do it i'm gonna be honest here okay. arn anderson said that always said that jj had a nutsack the size of a minnow bucket <laughs> okay <laughs> oh my god <laughs> how he knew that I never know. Okay? So there. You know, the older you get, anyway, you'll find out one day, kid. They they do have a tendency to drop. Uh, I, was so that, I, was, oh. I was told that you could sh that if you had the, a short throw projector, you could show a movie on it. <laughs> uh, see that? And that's why I never, that's why I never dressed in the, uh, that's why I never changed clothes in the dressing room. You had a freakishly large bag? <laughs> no. No. 
I mean, the the, the term uh, "button on a fur coat" would have been used back then quickly. Okay, roll tight on that. All right. Uh, so let's go ahead and have everybody go to one more thing that we want to cover here, and I'm going to encourage you to uh, go ahead and cruise over uh, on your WWE Network to one minute. Or I'm sorry, one hour, six minutes, and forty four seconds. That's one hour, six minutes, and forty four seconds. Um, you're going to be glad that you did. Uh, one hour, six minutes, and forty four seconds. Uh, while you're taking a minute to get there, let me tell you about the match that we're going to be seeing. It's Avalanche and Randy Savage. Um, Meltzer would write, Avalanche, who looked terrible, dominated most of the way. The match had no heat. Avalanche missed a splash uh, off the middle rope, and Savage did his double sledge off the top to the floor. And we will pick it up right there, uh, rather than me tell you what else is going to happen here. So, one hour, six minutes, 44 seconds. Tony, are you ready? One. I'm ready. All Let's right. hit play. The Macho Man Randy Savage up top. Avalanche rolling out. Oh, my God. Savage is going to come from the floor. Double axe handle on the top of the head of the big avalanche. And Savage, the wild man as he is, on the, the hell. Who? There, it's Lois. My wife is snapped. Gee, well, it can't be Lois. The boobs are not big enough. Who is this woman? Who? Who is this? A woman has come out of the stands, and Doug Dellinger is nowhere to be found. What the hell is going on? Wait but, a second. Let me just Here tell the- you, Miss Elizabeth looks like shit, but she can throw a knife edge. <laughs> She's really let herself go. Oh, my God. Has she ever? Rolling in, the macho man Randy Savage. You can hear the woos in the stand, Conrad. Not fooling many people, because that woman has got a beak. Uh, yes, it's the nature boy, Ric Flair. In in high heels. In high heels. With eyeliner. With eyeliner on. And, and painted and fingernails. And he is digging this, man. He is absolutely digging this. Now he takes it off. Look, look how he looks. Avalanche with a big avalanche drop. Did anybody have a problem letting John Tenta teabag him? (laughs) Here comes Hulk Hogan. Nobody's going to be cross-dressing in my ring, brother. (laughs) Pasta still rules. Absolutely. And now look at Flair. My God, he's got eyeliner on. And the bad thing about this is he looks like he's enjoying it. Look at him. Holy shit. Is it a wonder that Flair was pissed off and tried to quit this same month? Uh, uh, you know Flair as well as I do. It's fucking nut. Look at Hogan. What have I done? <laughs> I used to be at WrestleMania. Now I've got yeah. Ric Flair in high heels. Yeah, but you know what? The fact that I'm going to get a check for $750,000, what the fuck, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. What would Flair's, Flair... Uh, if, if Flair decided to pull a Caitlin and he was going to uh, become a woman. Yeah. What would Flair choose as a name? You know, if Jenner picked Caitlin, what do you think Rick would pick? Hmm. Uh, let me think for that for a second. As he makes his way out and, you know, he at his age now, he'd be fucking ugly. 
I mean, I, I thought you thought you made a good looking woman here, though. Well, yeah, kind of. Uh, hmm. I thought I thought Bruce Jenner made a pretty good looking woman, too. Didn't you? Hello. You're not going to answer that, are you? Conrad, I can't hear you. You're the professional commentator here, brother. (laughs) (laughs) And they make their way out. Uh, It would be Ricky, R-I-K-K-I, like Ricky don't lose that number. Oh, okay. Ricky Flair. You know, I don't think we have to worry about that. You sure? I'm pretty sure. Didn't you think Caitlyn Jenner actually did a pretty good job of looking like a pretty good-looking female? Uh, next up, we would have Big Bubba Rogers pin Sting in a major upset in just <laughs> 14 minutes. This was a solid, well-worked match with a basic yeah. storyline. Sting blew out his knee bad early, doing a leapfrog that didn't clear Rogers, and Rogers worked on Sting's knee for several minutes. Sting would make a comeback, doing several hot moves, but always selling the knee and finally, after being clipped, Sting went for the slam. The knee gave out, and Rogers fell on him for the pin. Two and a half stars. Um, talk to me a little bit here about the positioning of Sting. It feels as if Sting was kind of the flag bearer for WCW for a long time, but now that Hogan's here and Macho's here, at best, Sting could probably hope to be in the number three position. But doesn't it feel like he's being pushed down just a little bit with the insertion of the Renegade? There's no question. If you think back, and this is, a, a, first of all, can I say this before I answer that? Sure. Bruce Jenner was a nice-looking man. Uh, and, and I just think that he did a good job of transitioning to Caitlin. So anyway, uh, if, if you think about it, Sting probably should have been the should have been the guy, the ultimate surprise for Hulk Hogan. Uh, and that is, uh, again, looking back and, and, and uh, being just uh, armchair quarterbacking. But if, if you go back and think about the, the thing, uh, WCW back then, we were obviously trying to go back and take advantage of the success and the notoriety that the guys in the WWF had. So anybody else was going to be pushed down, which was probably wrong. But as you know, as we went on a couple of years later, uh, Sting certainly did get the big push. Everybody can't be a star. Everybody can't work on top in every event. If you have the same guys work on top in every event, what happens? Well, people get tired. They get bored. They exactly. move on. Exactly. And uh, you know what? The Sting and uh, the Sting and uh, Big Bubba Rogers match was not bad because Big Tell Bubba Rogers it's, could take some hell of a bumps as a big guy. He was really agile. I liked him as a big guy. Didn't you? No, I loved him. I thought he was a great worker, and I yeah. thought it was a fine match. I just found it interesting that Sting's losing here at the same time that it feels more like, hey, uh, this was a WCW thing. Well, let's have him lose to the big boss man, and let's put the top WCW guy in drag. Hey, I got this knockoff Ultimate Warrior. Let's put him in the main event. Yeah, I know. Uh, that's just. I know it, where you're going, yeah. It just feels that way, but. I think everybody will be in a better mood when they hear the commentary on our next match. I encourage everybody on the WWE Network to cruise on over right now to one hour, 37 minutes, and 36 seconds. We're going to go out on a high note here today, and we're going to talk about the Nasty Boys and the Harlem Heat uh, trying to recreate the Tupelo concession stand brawl that has become famous in professional wrestling. Uh, For whatever reason, people love these. 
Uh, and this yeah. one is no exception. So cruise on over one hour, 37 minutes and 36 seconds. And we'll give you a little rundown on the nasty boys, Harlem heat. Uh, Tony, are you ready? Ready, Conrad. All right, everybody, let's roll tape. A Texas tornado match. All four men in the ring at the same time. Pinfalls count anywhere. Where in the world is Harlem Heat? Here they come from behind. Booker T and Stevie Ray against the Nasty Boys. You know, they could pin They could pin the people in the parking lot. They could pin them on the ring. They could pin them in the stands on somebody's chair. But, of course, they won't. However, those are the rules. But actually, Conrad, there are no rules in this match. Do you know why? It's uncensored. Thank you very much. It's uncensored, and it's what we're all about. One thing, though, that is censored is the bleeding. You're not going to see any of that tonight. If you do, someone else is going to get their ass fired. Stevie Ray hammering Jerry Sags. Knobs being choked by Booker T. Do you think when uh, Stevie Ray and uh, Booker T got into wrestling, they were really excited about wrestling matches in Mississippi? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> We're just about six or seven years removed from the blockbuster Mississippi burning. And in my head, this would not even be a place they would want to stop for gas. Just let's get out of here. <laughs> yeah. I don't well, you know, the, the South has changed since then, Conrad. Don't you agree? Oh, for sure. But this is 22 right. years ago. Yeah, I know. This is uh, absolutely. But here they are. And thank goodness they stopped using Colonel Robert Parker. Uh what a gimmick that was of those two guys. And they, how about that kick? Boy, Booker T could really move, couldn't he? Booker T is, is probably uh, one of the best creations in the history of WCW. Now, I know he didn't yeah. really start there, but I'm saying he will always be, you know, considered a WCW guy. And the yeah. heights he would achieve, not only there, but in the WWF, uh, that could not have been easy. Absolutely. And now, calling for the double team. I don't know what Sags is doing on the outside, but Knobs is up. Oh, my gosh. A double <laughs> spike pile driver. Oh, that didn't work. Yeah, but Stevie Ray, not quite the performer that Booker T was. No, no, but Stevie Ray was was a great kid, is a great kid. I had heard he was going to be at WrestleCon, and then I heard he didn't make it, uh, I, and I wanted to go over and talk to him. Because, you know, he did Worldwide with me for a little bit. Yeah, Fruit Booty. Yeah, Fruit Booty. Wow, you remember all that shit, don't you? Well, here's the deal. My favorite drink in New Orleans is at the Sazerac Bar inside the Roosevelt Hotel. And uh, they have something called the Southern Gentleman that has muddled mint and blackberry. And I call it the fruit booty. Yeah. And it got a huge pop. And uh, I decided <laughs> to just keep that. So now my favorite drink is a fruit booty. All right. And I think one of the Har- one of Harlem Heat's favorite moves was the missed kick on the floor right there. And now <laughs> on the outside. Oh, didn't miss that one. Nope. On the outside. Sags and Booker T. Crushing children in the front row. Yeah. You know, the fans really weren't into this until right there. (laughs) Really. They really weren't. As you can tell, the fans are kind of sitting on their hands on the the other side. But once they got down on the floor, you know, come on, let's be obvious. That against the rings, steel rail, is kind of what Uncensored was all about. Oh, you know, a double team. As long as we've been doing this, which isn't very long, look at this. Oh, that doesn't age well, does it? No, it does not. And oh, share. Oh, it looks like she's getting ready for a Brazzer shoot. Yeah. Oh, and she's been sent to Pity City. 
There's another thing that happened during the course of this show, and it happened a lot, Conrad, on the last match, the uh, the strap match. Uh, in our efforts to try to desensitize or try to be more family friendly, every time there was like a steel chair, they would pull out why. Did you notice that? Yes. Yes. Well, well, why, why was there a trash can inside the guardrail so close to the ring right there? Well, people had to throw their shit away. The people at ringside, and we were just providing that to them. As you can see, a lot of wide shots coming out here because we were trying to get away from the violence. Some of the, uh, the violence, some of the stuff that was going to happen on the outside right there. So here's one of my favorite questions. So they're headed to the rest- uh, from refreshment stands, uh, but all the fans are barricaded off. So these stands are set up in case the boys want some fresh squeezed lemonade? Yes. Or a fruity booty or whatever it is that uh, <laughs> that they drink at that time. And here we go. Who would here, have, is, here is the actual meat and potatoes there we go. of this event. The concession stand fight. And for those of you who are not familiar, uh, concession stand fight is legendary. Conrad. I need to call this. Call this. Okay. Look at Sherry. Sherry is going, Sherry's going absolutely fucking nuts. As a matter of fact, I would think if she were a man, she would try be trying to fuck him in the ass right there. Are you going to not acknowledge that he just tried to hit him with cotton candy? <laughs> well, I sold it pretty well on the, when it happened. This it is very, uh, here we go. My favorite part. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> safe. Seaman's, Seaman's safe. line was safe at that time. Now, the lemonade and shit is all over the floor. They can barely stand up, but that's not stopping them. And you got to give them credit. I mean, you, you got to give them the credit for keeping the fight going on, even when they were standing on like ice. The, and, you know, you go back to the, the old days in Tupelo uh, at the old place, the old arena they had. It was an old, uh, and Jim Cornette told me this, it was an old uh, place where they worked on cars. And it, uh, they had a lot of oil on the floor. Doing the it mustard was, right there from it, the, uh, the that's a nod to the old Tupelo concession stand matches yes. from 79 and 81. <laughs> Stevie Ray looks great covered in mustard, doesn't he? Okay. Now we're going to see Sherry. I think Sherry was the most. <laughs> <laughs> I think Sherry was the most entertaining part of this. Take a look at this. Can, she, is, she is going nuts. I thought this, this, I thought this thing, I don't know how many stars. Dave Meltzer gave it because we had no Japanese wrestlers involved. But I thought this was the most entertaining part, this part right here of the entire show. The bumps that Sherry is taking in this <laughs> and everybody, I mean, people are about to legitimately get hurt. And then Sags and, and Stevie Ray smarten up and they're like, let's just get on the carpet. We're going to fucking hurt ourselves over here. Yeah. Look, Look. at Sherry. She, Sherry is just as tough as she can be. <laughs> oh, man. God, God bless her. May she rest in peace. One two and we pull off of course of the three count like we should uh, great job there of missing the three count as hard living as the nasty boys were would you have ever right. imagined that they would have outlived sherry yeah no no but there you go i guess just eating a lot of food is better than taking some other things uh, the old uh, the old nod here to the Tupelo concession stand brawls from 79 yeah. and 81 with, yeah. believe it or not, Honky Tonk Man and the one from 79, Onita in the one from 81. It was a staple at the time, but 
you guys try to recreate that here, who would have been the wrestling guru who said, hey, man, let's bring this back. We're in Tupelo. We got to do this here. This doesn't seem like something that Bischoff would have known about. So who would have? No. It would have been someone in the booking committee. Maybe uh, Terry Taylor would have been involved in this or, uh, I, you know, Kevin Sullivan, Dusty Rhodes. You know, everybody who had a strong background, uh, background in wrestling knew about this. Now, here's what they didn't know, though. How to shoot fucking TV because yeah. the camera is going to be over here as we see two guys on their knees doing nothing. Yeah. And then in the background, Brian Nobbs scoops him up, <laughs> slams Booker T., yeah. And no, we're not watching it. But in the background yeah. just now, there's yeah. your pinfall. The match is over. But we don't fucking know that because we're... No, we don't. Over here. Right. That's, uh, again, what that is, is there, there, are, there are so many things involved in this. And uh, Craig, Le- <laughs> Craig Leathers... <laughs> <laughs> Sherry, God bless her. She comes in and slides in. And the Nasty Boys are going to win. Oh, Lord. Now, I'm telling you, it, it was a shitty pay-per-view, but you got to say. That was fun. That was that was fun. That absolutely was fun. Uh, a couple of things here. Craig Leather's the director. He's usually told about the finish. But a lot of times guys improvise and do things on their own, and there's not always that, not trying to take up for Craig, but you can't. Now they're going to show here in the replay. They got it ISO'd here. They're going to show the finish. You can't always get it. Uh, and a lot of times we didn't get the finish as it went in right there. But uh, there's a lot of communication between booking committee, between the guys, and obviously between the director, Craig Leathers, who's the one that's calling the shots. Take two, take three, camera one, camera two. So uh, Meltzer would say um, it was easily the worst concession stand brawl in history, but it's oh, almost right. inherent a concession stand brawl is going to be good. The heat wound up with mustard all over them. An inside comment of the match was when Bobby Heenan made a crack about the inmates are running the asylum, and Tony Schiavone said he'd read that line somewhere, parentheses. It was in one of the letters Vince McMahon sent to Ted Turner, trying to get him to either clean up or shut down the company. One of the concession stands was selling funnel cakes, Anyway, that stand collapsed when the guys were whipped into it, and Knobs pinned Booker T with a power slam on the wood from the stand. He gave it two and a half stars. I know he said it was not a great, uh, you know, compared to the other ones, and nobody can really argue that. But it was still pretty fun for what it was. Well, it was. And I'll say this, probably more people saw that concession stand match than they saw the others. Oh, no doubt about it. So, uh, if you you're know, still I, watching the the show, comparing Ryan. it to the other ones, what the, what the fuck, you know? Uh, I, something I want to say here is that uh, the the letters that Vince had sent to Ted Turner to try to get him to shut down the company, yeah, uh, that that to me is just like, and and I love Vince and I love Linda and they were good to me when I worked for him, but that is just like chinsy ass, spineless ass bullshit. Well, you finally said something critical. Good for you. Yeah, it is. I mean, you know. No, we know. We agree. But, yeah, uh, you know, you normally make it your mission to at least 10 minutes to show beg for a job, you know, work on the network or whatever. <laughs> not, not to, I'm not begging for a goddamn job. Hey, I, ooh, I should have said that. I don't need a job. I'm working with Conrad fucking Thompson. Yeah. Okay. Well, there's a future in that. Ask Bruce Pritchard. Hey, uh, let me ask you this. Um you guys did a promo with Vader and Flair, if you were still watching, and Flair's in the background, 
He's shaved all the hair off his hands, and he's painted his fingernails, and he's got eyeliner and blush on, and he's trying to cut a serious promo. Why does no? But he's in regular clothes now. Why does nobody yeah. talk him into taking all that shit off? He, he wanted. He liked it. I can't answer that, but oh, and there was a part where Vader's talking over Flair, and we're watching it right now. Flair's Flair uh, Vader's talking over Flair's back, and Flair is just like. Just absolutely enjoying it. <laughs> this is when I popped right here at the end, when he's going crazy, when he's shaking his head. Oh, my God. He may he may enjoy cross-dressing. I don't know. Uh, in, the but, ma- uh, in the main event, Hulk Hogan beat Vader in a strap match. And here's yeah. how he beat Vader. Uh, he drug Ric Flair around to all four corners. That's right. right. Uh, for whatever reason, Vader, who had a, a good run going in Japan, was not going to lose here, nor was Hulk Hogan. So let's bring in Flair, who had just lost a retirement match, put him in Vader's corner, and let's let Hogan beat him. Yeah. Uh, as if that wasn't enough, Meltzer would write, leave it to Michael Buffer to come up with two screw-ups this time. He mm-hmm. said the match was sanctioned by the WCW when the entire gimmick of the show was that it wasn't. And he said for the 83rd time that Hogan was the leader of Hulkmania as opposed to Hulkamania. Yeah. Uh, Renegade came out to almost identical music to the Ultimate Warrior, running down the aisle like the Warrior, basically spending the entire match making Flair into his personal punching bag and not selling a thing for him at ringside. Eventually, Jimmy Hart with torn up clothes was running around ringside uh, with the story being he'd escaped from being bound and gagged. Uh, Flair still had the eye makeup on and just looked hideous. Hogan and Flair had a good match going 18 and a half minutes with some good whipping back and forth with the strap and some chair shots, although the camera wouldn't get anywhere near any of the shots of Vader using the chair. Eventually, a masked man who was supposed to have been Arn Anderson in a black scorpion outfit ran to ringside and hit Renegade with a chair and ran off. Then Flair attacks Hogan and hits Renegade a few more times with a chair Vader starts dragging Hogan around, but after three corners, Flair tells him to stop and put Hogan on a chair and then told Vader to come off the ropes on him. Of course, Hogan moved and Vader somersaulted onto the chair, which broke. Flair then got another easily breakable balsa wood chair and broke it on Hogan, who didn't sell it at all. Somehow, the strap comes off Vader and Hogan puts the strap on Flair. Boot to the face, leg drop. Hogan drags Flair around to all four corners to win the match. Afterwards, Vader attacks Hogan, and they have a standoff with the Renegade when the Black Scorpion comes out again. But this time, Arn Anderson crawls out of the dressing room, bound and gagged, with the idea that the Scorpion was Randy Savage, who had stolen the the costume from Anderson. And now he, Hogan, and Renegade cleared the ring, and they left the ring together, posing with the show ending about 20 minutes early, three and a half stars. So what did you make of this really, really overbooked finish uh, where we had Arn Anderson bound and gagged, we had Ric Flair, we had Jimmy Hart, we had the strap match, we had the chairs. Um, just a lot going on here. Yeah, a lot going on. I wasn't always in favor of the, of the Jimmy Hart angle. Uh, however, Jimmy did a good job of that. What, what I left with, again was two things for the show, and, and and especially on this last match, that we missed the Macho Man taking off his mask. Yeah. And I'm thinking, what the fuck are we doing? I mean, we just, that is, to me, that was the, the big reveal that he took off his mask and he helped him in the ring. We completely missed that because we were shooting Arn Anderson. Uh, and for all the fuck-ups at WCW, uh, 
we missed a lot on that night. We really did. Missed the finish of the uh, of the uh, Texas Tornado match. We missed uh, Macho Man unveiling. You know, it was the idea, I guess, to bring the, the Mega Powers back together again. Once again, trying to uh, recreate the excitement that Vince had created in the 80s with Savage and Hogan being together. We tried to bring that back, and I think we'd lost a little bit because we missed the shot. Now, I know you may think out there, well, you're, you're, you're uh, thinking a lot about missed shots. Those things were important in telling the story of what was going on. Yeah, it was overbooked. We had a lot of people involved in that. The Renegade, the only thing he did was scream at people. Uh, Jimmy Hart came in, two different masked men, uh, Vader and Hogan, and Vader dragging Ric Flair around the ring. And, of course, it shows you what type of company guy Ric Flair was agreeing to do all this shit when he was probably upset about it. So it was at the end, it was kind of a big clusterfuck. But, uh, you know, again, there were some uh, exciting parts about it. And some, I'm not going to say exciting, some entertaining parts about it. Wouldn't you agree? No, I would agree. And and I think yeah. that, you know, we all like to make fun of some of the creative here. And certainly it yeah. deserves that. But in the end, it's not just wrestling. It's the wrestling business. And yes, it is. this show drew a lot of money. And it was the, one of their biggest shows in history. So uh, I don't know that, that, that really it deserves all the criticism it gets. Certainly it does critically. But as far as whether or not it was a success or failure, those decisions are not always based on what people liked. Those decisions are based on instead, you know, what drew money and what didn't. But what did draw money is WCW in 1996. They really start to hit their stride, and we're going to spend a lot of time on 1996 in the future. uh, And we're going to get that started next week right here on What Happened When Monday But we're not going to do what you maybe imagine. There were so many great things that happened uh, in WCW in 1996. We're instead going to take a look at some things that were eh, maybe a little less than great. Uh, That seems to be what everybody has a good time with. So let's get started. Uh, Four shows from the year 1996. Uh, Let's start in February. February 11th at the Bayfront Arena in St. Petersburg, Florida. It's... Super Brawl 6. Now, this is famous for one thing most of all. Uh, It is Brian Pillman and Kevin Sullivan in an I Respect You strap match. Uh, That is going to be one of the things that we're definitely going to do commentary on. Uh, Also on that show, we've got the Nasty Boys taking on the Public Enemy, Johnny B. Bad taking on DDP, Sting and Lex Luger facing the Harlem Heat, Conan versus the One Man Gang, Arn Anderson, also with Kevin Sullivan, do a, uh, a match or a little bit of a bout. Sting and Lex Luger take on the Road Warriors. Ric Flair takes on Randy Savage. And Hulk Hogan faces the Giant in a cage. That is Super Brawl 6 from the Bayfront Arena, February of 1996. Uh, let's go ahead and talk about Uncensored. It was the next month. Everybody wants to hear about it. It's Uncensored 1996. It's most known for the main event, of course, Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage taking on Ric Flair, Arn Anderson, Ming, the Barbarian, Lex Luger, the Taskmaster, Z Gangsta, and the Ultimate Solution with Woman, Miss Elizabeth, and Jimmy Hart. That's right, two on one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Two on eleven in a doomsday cage match, 25 minutes of awful WCW uh, from March 1996. It's Uncensored 96. Also on the show, Sting and Booker T taking on the Road Warriors. The Giant facing Loch Ness. That's exactly everything you want it to be. 
Uh, the Booty Man took on Diamond Dallas Page in a 16-minute match. Kill me now. Colonel Robert Parker took on Medusa. We could have fun with that one. Uh, the Belfast Bruiser took on Lord Steven Regal. And Conan faced Eddie Guerrero. That's uncensored 1996. That Doomsday Cage match has fun written all over it. Road Wild 1996. This is after the NWO has formed. Uh, but we've always wanted to talk about Road Wild. So here we are. The main event is Hulk Hogan taking on the Giant. This is for the world title. The Outsiders, Scott Hall and Kevin Nash, take on Sting and Lex Luger. We've got Ric Flair facing Eddie Guerrero for the U.S. title. For the tag straps, we've got the Harlem Heat taking on the Steiner Brothers. Chris Benoit and Dean Malenko have a match. Medusa and Bull Nakano in a Battle of the Bikes match. Scott Norton taking on Ice Train. Rey Mysterio Jr. facing the Ultimo Dragon. And that is Road Wild, I'm sorry, Hog Wild, 1996. Of course, that one's in Sturgis. Last but certainly not least for 1996, we're going to talk about World War III. This one's at the Norfolk Scope in Norfolk, Virginia. It's November 1996. Uh, Top to bottom, we've got the Giant uh, going ahead and coming down to the final elimination with Lex Luger in the 60-man World War III match. You've got 60 guys in this match. Uh, that should be fun. We've also got the Outsiders taking on the Faces of Fear and the Nasty Boys. Dean Malenko taking on Psychosis. Sister Sherry faces Colonel Robert Parker. That ought to be fun. Mm-hmm. Harlem Heat takes on the Amazing French Canadians, which is Jacques Rougeau and Carl Willette. The Giant faces Jeff Jarrett. Jericho faces Nick Patrick. And Ultimo Dragon takes on Rey Mysterio. That one is for the J-Crown Championship. So lots of interesting stuff on this one from Jericho and Nick Patrick, Colonel Robert Parker and Sherry, obviously the 60-man, but then a really great match with Ultimo Dragon and Rey Mysterio. So of those four shows, as we cover some of the less-than-awesome stuff from 1996, what would you rather cover, Tony? Super Brawl with the strap match, the I Respect You Booker Man, uh, Uncensored with the Doomsday Cage, Road Wild with the uh, the NWO first rising to prominence on that Battle of the Bikes match with Medusa, or World War Three uh, with all the craziness of Nick Patrick and Colonel Robert Parker and sixty men in a ring. Which one of those seems like it would be more fun to you, Tony? Uh, well, at first I thought it would be a Hog Wild uh, because I always liked being in Sturgis. I always thought we had a lot of fun, did a lot of crazy things. But after hearing World War III and knowing that Dean Malenko is now wrestling and you've got uh, Chris Jericho wrestling with us, uh, to me, that would be the best one. So there you I'd go. I'd like to talk about that one. Go ahead and throw your vote down right now over at WHW Monday on Twitter. It's up right now at WHW Monday on Twitter. He is at Tony Schiavone 24. I am at Hey, Hey, It's Conrad. And Tony, as I look at my clock, I can't help but feel like it's about that time. And one of the great matches at WCW Uncensored is one that was a dark match. We need to talk about it right now. And it was the tag team of Conrad Thompson and LaParka Dave Silva going against the Horsemen. And the Horsemen formation this time of stunning Steve Austin and a masked man who looks like the Black Scorpion. And ladies and gentlemen, it was a tremendous match. Watch out. Somebody's got a chair. It's, it looks like Conrad Thompson has guessed. He has pulled a chair completely out of his ass. Completely out of his ass. He has pulled a balsa wood chair, and he has hit 
stunning Steve Austin. And making the cover is Dave Silva. If he can get down off his feet. Yes, he's made the cover. One, two, three. Oh, the winners. Conrad Thompson, LaParca, Dave Silva. They have defeated the Horsemen, at least two members of the Horsemen, here at Uncensored. It was not a Japanese-style match, but motherfucker, it was a good one. And we'll see you next week on WHW Monday. What happened? Where?